We are in a series right now, if you've probably already gathered, uh, called Forward, where, where we're really talking about why we exist as a church. What, what's our purpose? And specifically, as it relates to our faith communities here in Heartland and Grand Blanc, why are we bringing these two churches together? Uh, by the way, if that is news to you here this morning, uh, we are becoming one church, two locations. One location in Grand Blanc, one location in Heartland. Uh, and if you just have a lot of questions now that are circulating around your head, I would invite you to go to grumlaw.com slash merger uh, and catch yourself up to speed. I'd like to think that most of your questions would be able to get answered right there. So, so throughout this series, what we're doing is we're kind of peeling the curtain back and, and sharing with all of you, hey, here's where we are headed as a church. In a lot of ways, these are kind of stake-in-the-ground moments, culture-defining moments as a church. And so if you haven't been with us for the first two weeks of this series, this is a really, really important series. I would invite you to head on over to grumlaw.com messages. Catch yourself up to speed there. You can listen to the messages there. You can watch the messages there. Or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcasts. As we look towards our future, as we look forward, See what I did there? Well, what we're speaking about today has the opportunity to completely change your relationship with the local church, how you view the local church, the value of the local church, and specifically your role in the local church. I'm going to direct our attention this morning to a book that we find in the New Testament, kind of the second half of the Bible, called John. John is actually one of the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. What's so great about the gospel according to John is John was actually one of those guys who spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus. He was with Jesus in the flesh. He, he didn't just hear about this stuff. He actually witnessed this stuff firsthand. Uh, I want to invite you right now, wherever you're watching uh, from right now, whether you're in your living room or your bedroom, go and, and round up, find that Bible wherever it might be in your house. If you don't have a Bible, I would challenge you to actually download the version app. This is 100% free. It's for Apple devices, Android devices, has like all the different translations there. Uh, there's awesome reading plans in there. Again, you have my word. I actually want you to pull this thing out, like follow along with us. I'm telling you, there's such a value in spending that daily time with Jesus and allowing the scriptures to actually speak to you. Now, now a little context as to what we're going to be jumping into here this morning. Uh, the end is near for Jesus at about this time where we're going to be picking up this story. His earthly ministry, which only lasted about three years, it's kind of approaching that grand finale where, spoiler alert, uh, Jesus ends up getting killed, but three days later, he rises from the dead. And here where we're going to be looking in John chapter 13, we get a glimpse into one of Jesus' final acts with his 12 closest friends, that those 12 guys whom he spent so much time with during his time on earth. From this point forward, things start moving really, really quickly towards his death. So, so Jesus' time on earth, coming to an end, and, and he knows he has a very limited amount of time remaining with his closest friends. And, and, and watch what he decides to do with some of those final moments with his closest friends, with those 12 disciples. In chapter 13, verse 3, it says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. He was well aware that he had authority literally over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Th th this cannot be. This cannot be just a coincidence that John puts this in here. Because the act that comes after this could not stand in more stark contrast to this statement. And it completely undermines what every single one of us intuitively understand about power and authority. See, everything that our world teaches us, everything that you instinctively long for, it goes something like this. More authority results in more power which then makes you more important. And ultimately, there are more people who are available to do your bidding. 
I, I want more authority so that I have more power because when I have more power, I'm more important. In turn, more people are available to me. More people pay attention to me and are available to do my bidding. I get closer to the center of the universe for more people. More people depend on me. You maybe have never thought about it necessarily in these terms, but this is universally wired in every single human being on the planet. Now, it manifests itself in different ways, but we all naturally drift in this direction. It's why our society holds celebrities in such high esteem. It's why fourth graders, when you ask them what do they want to be when they grow up, they say things like the president or a doctor or an astronaut. None of those little kids look back at you and say, I, I want to be an hourly employee at Little Caesars. It's why you, without ever really even having to think about it, you just instinctively want the promotion. It's why my four-year-old has a meltdown where her little brother won't pay attention to her suddenly impromptu fashion show. It's all about us. We want more authority. We want more power. We want more importance. We want more attention because that means we'll be able to leverage more authority for the benefit of ourselves. See, when John comes along and he makes this statement, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. We anticipate, because of everything that we've been learned, because of everything that we've been preconditioned to understand, we anticipate that the next line is going to read something like this. So he, had, he demanded his disciples feed him his meal, bite by bite, then do his laundry, clear the table of the dirty dishes, and prepare his bath, right? Because that's what you do when you get more authority. You exercise it. You, you put your subjects to work for the benefit of you. you. You worked hard to get to the top. Now it's time to take advantage of your subordinates. They are available for you to make your life easier, to make your life better. But, but Jesus comes along and he flips this entire paradigm upside down. He, he, he knew his authority. He, he knew his power. He, he was well aware of his importance during his time on earth. He, he was very aware of his standing in the order of the universe. He, he, he was fully aware that on a universe org chart, he stood alone at the top. And, and what I love about what happens next is that Jesus doesn't just make some grandiose order reversing statement. No, 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 in one of his final acts on this planet, he makes sure that his disciples, his followers, subsequently every single person who's watching right now who would identify as a Jesus follower, that, that we understand exactly what he was talking about. He, he, he wants to make sure that every single one of us listening, every single one of us watching right now understand just how far this goes. One more time with verse 3. Jesus knew he was well aware that the Father had given him authority over everything and everyone, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And the disciples are watching in utter disbelief at what they fear is about to go down. They're whispering to each other, he, he isn't about to do what we think he's about to do, right? They're getting squirmy. They're starting to feel uncomfortable. They're starting to feel convicted. They can barely watch. Then what they were hoping wouldn't happen, it did. 
See, 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 Jesus doesn't just make some grandiose statement about authority in the kingdom of God. He, he shows them exactly what it looks like. The unthinkable happens. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, now very practically speaking, this is just nasty. Because feet back in that day... They were quite a bit dirtier than they are here in probably 21st century America. There's no paved roads. It's all dirt. Animals are traveling on the same roads as humans, in fact, all the time, along with all of their deposits. No closed-toed shoes, sandals, bare feet. That's the norm. This was something you either did yourself because you were too embarrassed to let somebody else wash your feet, or the lowliest of servants or a slave was the one to take on this task. Certainly not a job. For the person who was at the top of the food chain, who, who had authority over literally everything and would soon be returning to God. A again, y'all, don't miss this. It's not an accident that John writes just before this that Jesus had authority over everything. He, he wanted the readers of his account of the life of Jesus, you and I very much included, to try and wrap our heads around just how ridiculous, just how appalling this would have been. Jesus' disciples, they're watching this go down and, and they're having flashbacks to those moments where those same hands that, that are now washing their nasty feet were the same hands used to open blind eyes, to heal lame legs, to, to multiply enough food to feed the masses. Countless miracles. So many people healed with those same hands. And, and now these hands were scrubbing their disgusting feet. Peter, one of the 12 disciples, he, he responds much like I think a lot of us would have responded. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? He, he, he's looking at Jesus going, you're not about to do that to me, right? I mean, I'm not worthy. J Jesus, I cannot let you do this. If anybody should be washing feet, it should be me washing yours. This is completely out of order. And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday and someday in the not-so-distant future, you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus, I cannot let you do this. He was responding much like I think a lot of us would have responded. See, Jesus, again, he's completely messing with what every single one of us intuitively understand about authority, about power, about influence. It's all completely backwards. Jesus replied to Peter, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Peter, unless you allow me to do this, you won't belong to me. You cannot call yourself one of my followers. He's going, that there is a new way of doing things in my kingdom. Your former hierarchy of getting more power and more authority for the benefit of yourself, we are done with that, Peter. Jesus is not mixing words here. He is quite plainly saying, you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus and ignore this. He's looking at all of us saying, this is central to what it means to follow me. 
He is the king who came to reverse the order of things. He took everything that we thought we knew, that we intuitively understand about power and authority, and he completely flipped it upside down. And he didn't just talk about it. He shows us just how far this goes when he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' nasty feet. A couple of verses later, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. He goes, I understand who I am. I know that I'm Lord of all, over all the earth, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do, he says, do as I have done to you. See, Jesus could have just as easily told a story as he often did. Jesus was famous, actually, for telling all these different parables. He could have told a parable about serving one another. But, but, but he wanted to make sure that this stuck. He, he, he wanted to make sure that all of us have this imagery burned into our brains. He, he, he could not have been more clear on this. This is central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He does not just suggest this. He commands it. He says right here, do. The way of the world, what we intuitively understand about authority Again, it's more authority and more power and more important. And then you have more people available to do your bidding. You have more influence, more opportunity to exercise that authority. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, we are done with this. And if you ever get to the point where you think you're somehow more important than the you next to you, remember Jesus says, I got down on my knees and I watched your gross callous-ridden, nasty, disgusting feet. In those moments when you're really tempted to think that you're something special, remember that you will never be greater than your master. And he got down and washed some feet. In this new that Jesus introduced, he's going, I'm not denying this. There's going to be more authority. And with more authority, you'll have more power. And as you get more power, you'll have more importance. You'll have more influence, but all that means is you have more opportunities to serve. More opportunities to serve those around you, to show Jesus to those whom you have any level of influence over. With every new opportunity that God drops into your lap, as a Jesus follower, you have even more opportunity to serve. You have even more opportunity to leverage your authority for the benefit of those around you rather than you. Now, as already mentioned, and as Jesus clearly states, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, honestly, y'all, this really, what we see right here, this isn't even an option. But, but if you're new to all this, you're just kind of beginning to explore, you, you get to pick and choose if this is so ultimately something that you want to do. But, but for just a moment here, Allow me to appeal to some of our more innate sensibilities. Is this what we see here backwards from everything that society teaches us? You bet. Does this come natural to a single person on the planet? Not a chance, but is it worth it? Absolutely. Whether you would call or identify as a Christian or not, you would be wise to start living your life this way. Let me give you a couple examples of what I mean. To all you married couples out there, think about the marriages that you admire most. Are they the ones where the husband lords over the wife? Where the wife is constantly belittling and disparaging her husband? 
course not. No, no, universally, the marriages that you admire most are the marriages where the two constantly serve each other. Where the one person is putting the needs of the other person ahead of their own. That they're treating marriage as it should be treated, as a submission competition. Those in the workplace, what is it that makes a healthy work environment? Is it just more money? Nice office chairs? A cool workspace? Part of it, but probably not. Do you admire the boss who's constantly yelling and treating the employees like lesser human beings? No. Doesn't matter how much you're making there. Universally, we want to work for people who show up to work each day thinking, how can I serve my employees and make their lives better? Universally, even though we all acknowledge that this is so much easier to talk about than actually do, Christian or not, when we see this type of behavior, when we see this type of humility and others' first focus played out in real life, we admire it. We, we, we want more of it. Jesus doesn't just ask us to live this way because he's trying to complicate things or because it just kind of sounds nice. No, this is yet again another area where he's going, if you would just trust me on this, even though it goes against basically everything that comes natural to you, it won't just be better for you. It'll be better for everyone around you. For, for, for those of you who are watching right now, and you're just kind of new to this whole church thing, this, this might be new to you, but, but Jesus has your best interest in mind. J Jesus is for you. He, he knows that this right here, it leads to a better life, healthier marriages, healthier dating relationships, better parents, more cohesive workplaces. It's not simply different. Y'all, it's better now, with, with the little bit of time that we have left here together this morning, I want to make this really, really, really practical. G give you some ways that you can not just simply be hearers of the word, but doers. Jesus has actually a lot to say about that as well, but that's probably another topic for another day. First, allow me to speak very openly with, with no intent to hurt anybody's feelings, and I'm certainly not trying to be passive-aggressive in any way, just kind of direct and open. All you type A personalities watching right now, you will appreciate this. Uh, throughout the year, both at Grumlaw and venture, we give you opportunities that we organize as a church for you to come out and serve in our community. That there is no tangible benefit to Grumlaw, there is no tangible benefit to venture. It is just a way for us to just kind of symbolically say, hey, we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're just going to serve our community because our community needs people who are this selfless. And we have these signups between the two churches. Melissa uh, Miller, who's our Connect Groups Director, Life Groups Director, uh, she recently shared this. Between both churches, we have about 1,500 people that would call this place their church home. And when we give these opportunities, typically, we see anywhere between 10 to about 30 on the high end, number of people that actually show up and serve at these events. Uh, if you're doing the math, uh, let me help you out. That's not very good. I refuse to believe that this is going to be the reputation of this church for all of time. I'm believing that this culture is going to flip because we are falling more in love with Jesus and Jesus so clearly asks us this of us. One day in the not-so-distant future, Venture and Grumlaw will be known as a church that recklessly serves this community when opportunities are presented. That we as a community, we find ways to say yes rather than no. Because candidly speaking, most of the excuses that I hear from people, and some people just feel the need, they need to explain it to me, that as to why they can't come to that serving opportunity, most of the excuses I hear are valid. 
Frankly, it's just a matter of priorities and taking the words of Jesus seriously. I don't think you're lying to me when you tell me that you already had plans to go up north. I'm just saying you've already went up north 15 times this year, and maybe this is a good opportunity to say no to what you want so you can say yes to what Jesus asks. I believe you when you say that your kid has a baseball game that day, but call me crazy. It might be a stronger life lesson and a well-placed stake in the ground moment for your family when you say no to baseball. He's not going pro, by the way. So you can say yes to your family selflessly serving others. So in that vein, uh, Grumwald Church, we think we have a pretty incredible serving opportunity for all of you. I'd invite you to visit right now, rebrand.ly slash Franklin Ave. Uh, it's almost like the timing of this was planned. Uh, Saturday, November the 7th, from 9 to 12, only three hours, a bunch of us were going to be headed up to Franklin Avenue Mission. For those of you who are not familiar with Franklin Avenue Mission, that this is a mission up on the northeast side of Flint. Uh, literally uh, one of the most impoverished zip codes in the entire United States, and Franklin Avenue Mission serves that community so well. Uh, they just basically have a bunch of hands-on projects that need to get completed before snow starts falling. Uh, and so I'm just asking you as your pastor, I'm asking us to actually, again, be just not just listeners, not just hearers of the word, but doers. I want to challenge you to visit rebrand.ly slash Franklin Ave and sign up to serve right now. Let, let, let's blow the mission away let, like, like we never have before because so many people show up to serve. And I'll just say kind of candidly speaking, these days, y'all, they're a lot of fun. I know intuitively it doesn't sound like it would be, but they're a blast. It's not like some house project that your wife made you do where you're kind of cursing under your breath the whole time. It's actually a really good time. It's a great opportunity to meet other people and again, selflessly serve other people, do something that has no tangible benefit to you. Now, now secondly, every single one of us, Christian or not, we have an opportunity to practice what Jesus advocated for, what he demonstrated, what he commanded us to follow through the local church. But, but the problem is, is that for most of us, we hear the word church and we think building. You're not alone in that. I, I do the exact same thing. We, we hear the word church and instinctively we think building. And I'm telling you, this is so unfortunate because this was never Jesus's intention. And, and I believe this is actually one of the biggest translation blunders of all time. Uh, allow me to teach you a little bit of Greek here to illustrate what, what I'm talking about. The word that we get our English word church from, it actually comes from a Greek word called ekklesia. And ekklesia, as you can see here, literally translated, means community, means congregation, assembly, gathering of people. In other words, not a building. And, and here's what's so great about this. You, as in every single one of you watching right now, you have been invited to play a role in the local church within this community. Even if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you'll hear me say this all the time, you can belong here long before you believe, long before you embrace everything that we're talking about here on Sunday mornings. You have an opportunity through the local church to serve in the way that Jesus was demonstrating when he washed the feet of his disciples. And here's what's so good about this, and in fact, it gets me so giddy that I just kind of want to dive into your living room right now. When you throw yourself into the life of the church, when you move beyond just attending to, to, to serving and giving of your time and your talents and your treasure here, this becomes a whole lot more than something that you just do for an hour on Sunday mornings. This becomes so much more meaningful than something that may or may not entertain you for an hour each week. See, when you invest here, when you serve here, 
The local church takes on an entirely new meaning and the impact it has in your life and the lives around you, it intensifies in ways that you will not understand until, well, you serve. No longer do you show up here for what's in it for me. You're showing up here because you want to. You feel compelled to. You, you in fact, cannot believe that the God of the universe has invited you to play a role in his redemptive plan for the world. That this becomes an I get to rather than an I have to. Some of you watching, I have no doubt, you've literally wondered yourself, what's so great about church? Why do people care? Why would anybody get excited about church? It's because those people that you're referring to, they've made that move from attender to owner. They've jumped off the sidelines. They've discontinued treating church like going to the movies. And they began investing themselves in the life of the local church. They figured out what so many have figured out before them, that it's not just good for the church, it's not just good for them, it's best for everyone around them. Which, which probably shouldn't surprise us, considering this is exactly what Jesus did for every single one of us. And, and so right now, I wanna invite you, I wanna challenge you, but again, more than that, just again, I want to invite you to play a role in what God is doing through the local church. And so right now, literally what's gonna happen, uh, is a one-minute timer is going to pop on the screen. There's going to be a couple links on there. One is uh, an opportunity for you to serve, you know, again, the community around us. And then the other one is that opportunity for you to actually sign up and serve here. Grumlaw Church, if you haven't heard about this yet, we are going back in person on November the 22nd. And obviously, we can't pull off Sunday mornings without so many of you. So I'm going to invite you into that right now. One-minute timer, give you that opportunity to visit those links and sign up right now. Please don't use this as a chance to go get coffee. Please don't use this as a chance to go use the restroom. Actually, go to these links right now. You have been invited into what God has initiated, what God has orchestrated. Hey, y'all, I, I understand. Even though apathy and easy are, are trying to reign supreme in our, in our lives right now, I mean, seriously, how easy has it been to drift towards apathy and laziness during this seven-month period? If you call yourself a Jesus follower, Jesus commands us to live this way. But even better than that, he invites us to play a role in his redemptive plan for the world. To stop asking, what's in it for me? Stop dating the church. And instead ask, how can I contribute? This is the local church. It's plan A and there is no plan B. Y'all, if you stay on the sidelines in this thing called the local church, if you continue to drift towards what's in it for me, you'll never understand why the local church is so important and you'll miss out on the joy and the purpose that comes along with serving what God has set in motion. But if you accept this invitation, this invitation that Jesus offers every single one of us, if you'll move from attender to owner, if you'll take ownership in the life of the local church, you'll begin to see God move in ways that previously eluded you. You'll be obedient to that which Jesus has called you to. God will use you in ways that previously seemed unthinkable and will collectively be a part of that someday. Peter's going, Jesus, I cannot let you wash my feet. And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. To all of you watching, 
we are that someday. Because not only did Jesus demonstrate this type of service when he washed his followers' nasty feet, he punctuated it in a way that we will never be able to fully comprehend and appreciate when he died on a cross for every single one of us. That's what authority and consequently service looks like in the kingdom of God. And Jesus has invited every single one of us to play a part in that, in his redemptive plan for the world. Let's not miss the opportunity, the invitation sitting in front of us to move from a tender to owner.